0: I wonder how many of us gauge our day, and whether it was a good day or a bad day, by my happiness.
1: I hope that not too many people are doing that. And if you are doing that, that you'll stop soon. Because the problem with happiness is that it's not a goal. It's nothing that you can aim at. It's a byproduct of decisions or circumstances. But when we chase it, it's like sea foam. You get a handful of it, you think you have something there and it's gone. gone. The Shepherd in the Shrink podcast can only happen with your support. Please go to patreon.com, search for the Shepherd in the Shrink podcast, and find all kinds of cool stuff that we have in store for you. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit. Because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage,
0: strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt
1: Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology. Or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Hey,
0: Marty, did anybody ever call you Marte growing up?
1: They did, in fact. Some people have done that. Marte. Where'd that come from? Marte? Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's... a what do you mean? Where did it come from? I don't know. I don't know
0: everything. I know some things. You know quite a lot. I know a little bit. Oh, man. And you deal with it day in and day out as you help people as a psychologist who have taken the step to schedule an appointment and come in. And that is so encouraging to me that there are people who already they're working on their own healing. They're working. Oh, yeah.
1: well, thanks for saying that because um, usually people have to get to a high level of pain to do that. But we're seeing that the stigma of going to get some help is um, less and less. And you have the same thing in your life and in your vocation, right? There are yeah. people in pain who come to see you and they're looking for some relief. Now, if you do it sooner than later, it's easier, but that's hard to do for, for people. They don't, um, the self-care is put way down on their list of important things. Yeah.
0: And and when you are stressed out, your energy level oftentimes goes down or your ability to focus enough to know what to do to get from point A to point B. If yeah. you even recognize you're at point A and you're in trouble.
1: This is true. Yes.
0: Well, we have been looking for the last four weeks at an identity crisis that I think our country is in, that a lot of Western civilization is in, and how we view ourselves. And some of it, as we've been looking at, has come from hundreds of years of st- step by step by step, inch by inch by inch viewing ourselves as consumers and finding our identity in that and finding our choices all in that. And then the second one we talked about was viewing ourselves as spectators and the idea that we experience happiness secondhand and the whole idea of reality TV and the fact is our lives don't line up with the amount of entertainment we can consume. That was an interesting conversation. Then the third thing that we looked at is that we, as a result of some of these things and more, have become more and more viewing ourselves as self-focused individuals, detached from the people around us, detached from community. And I know the statistics on loneliness, the statistics on people not even knowing their neighbors, let alone a group of people in some kind of non-virtual way. Funny to refer to the rest of life as non-virtual, isn't
1: it? Uh There's so much that's on the screen, that's being done on the screen. And and we're getting um, on social media research, we're seeing those aren't real relationships. Even if it's neutral, that's, we have to admit, but it doesn't seem to be neutral. The effects seem to be um, on the whole negative, especially for young people.
0: Yeah. Well, what I want to talk about in terms of our fourth time today, in terms of our identity and how we see ourselves, is I think that we see ourselves as pushing, having pushed past right and wrong. And I can tell you painfully about a good friend of mine who 10 years ago let his feelings completely dictate his morality. And his feelings were bringing chaos into his marriage, into his kids' lives, into the, his own direction in life. And he was an incredible businessman and he caved into his longings. He dumped his wife. Um, His kids were broken as a result, and he went off to pursue someone else. And, you know, he did ministry side by side with me in some cases. And he knows, for example, you would say adultery, if you want to use an old word, is wrong. He could tell us what the Bible had to say about it, but he walked away, and it's like he discovered this inner light. And he thinks it's a God thing, fulfilling himself. And there are churches that say, discover your own happiness, follow your own path. And I'm sure you could name people in your life who you've seen the same way. And so the idea of, is there right? Was he right? Was he wrong? And the the serious thing is, it's up for debate. Funny thing. And then I'll let you get a word in it, Joyce. The funny thing is, when it comes to right and wrong, I Googled it. Because I knew we were going to be talking about this podcast. And you can look up all kinds of everything online. So I I searched for right and wrong. All I got were sermons. Literally, all I got were sermons. It seems like nobody other than preachers cares much about it. And the fact is, I think we see ourselves as living in a reality that's beyond right and wrong. And it's not so much that we're against right and wrong, it's just that we want our own way. We want our own way and right and wrong are secondary. Does that ring true?
1: It does ring true. 100 on that. There's no question about it. And there are philosophies that are driving this too. The, the postmodernism philosophy. First of all, I would say this you can't avoid issues of right and wrong, it's unavoidable. So, relativism, which is like everybody constructs their own right and wrong. Okay. Now, if I support that and promote that, I've just made a truth claim right? Here is how it is. Right is whatever you think. Well, I'm still talking about right and wrong is if you, you know, maybe follow Christ. We're going to have to struggle with this issue and come to terms with it in our lives. So right to me is the good, right? Where is the good, you know? But then that's another concept that you'll find sermons on probably. If you said good versus evil, you would probably... Google it, you would probably find that it's a spiritual issue. And you're gonna see pastors and sermons, right?
0: That's all we, I found when I Googled, yeah. Right but it makes wrong.
1: perfect sense. Why? Um, but but there is a tacit belief that drives everything, including what is the good? That's a basic philosophic question. What is the good? Okay. They're answering it with cultural relativism or postmodernism, which I defined that already, didn't I? Not yet. Basically postmodernism, it's dying off, thank God.
0: Because it doesn't work.
1: Yeah, and also it has a fundamental flaw in it that as soon as I discovered it, because I got excited early on in grad school about postmodernism, because like who would want to just have the ability to construct reality? And then you feel like a good person because you feel like you're not going to judge people. Oh, you're judging people. (laughs) Trust me on that. You're judging every person that doesn't believe in your postmodern philosophy. You know, the the idea that we can just, um, there is no good. I will interpret reality and tell you what's good. And it gets to be, just like you described earlier, a mess. You can make a mess out of your life.
0: Mm -hmm. You leave a trail of of wounded people behind you.
1: Including yourself.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, and I think that I think it goes to this inherent flaw that we have that I just want to get my own way. And you know, the way we get our own way is really interesting. I I don't know how much you espouse the idea of birth order. I've heard out in the workplace, it's less of an issue, but within your own family, it's an issue. Uh And I don't know how many many people are firstborns who I call the bossy Bessies among us. You know, they just boss the rest of us younger kids around to get their own way. And then I think the best category is middle children. That's what I am. But middle children are manipulators and that's me too. And we manipulate the rest of everybody else to get our own way. And then I don't know if anybody, if you can think of this in terms of the babies of the family, they're the whiners. They play the sympathy card on the rest of us to get their own way. And then um, there's only children which can explain a lot, is the big joke I tell my son-in-law. And they just grew up getting their own way for free. They never had to fight for it. And so many of us, you know, there's a source of pride if we're known in our family for getting our own way. I used to be proud of it, but really what's deciding my morality is my ability to get my own way, to get what I want. We make decisions to get our own way when it comes to morals, to right and wrong. We decide based on our number one goal which is to, for me to get my own way. That's my inalienable right, like the de- Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. pursuit
1: of happiness. Yeah.
0: But really what I mean is the pursuit of my happiness. And don't you gauge your day by how much you got your own way in a day? Or have you moved past that?
1: I may be doing it and never thought of it. Um, I, I mean, of course I have um, a direction that I chose and I'll get frustrated if something gets in the way of what I want. It's usually not through people because what I'm trying to do is usually trying to get away from people <laughs> okay, so I can recover. <laughs> Look, so, yeah,
0: you're pouring yourself mm, into every single session.
1: And that's for their benefit too because you know you know what it's like to work when you start to get burnt out, you're mm-hmm. not very effective. Mm-hmm. So not that I, I don't like you.
0: I want, I wonder how many of us, gauge our day and whether it was a good day or a bad day by my happiness, which could well, be good, or it could be a complete mm-hmm. waste of
1: time. I hope that not too many people are doing that. And if you are doing that, that you'll stop soon. Because the problem with happiness is that it's not a goal. It's nothing that you can aim at. It's a byproduct of decisions or circumstances, but when we chase it, we're less, it's like seafoam. You get a handful of it, you think you have something there, and it's gone, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. I heard it on a little card somebody gave me once. They said, happiness is not a destination. It's a way of traveling. Otherwise, what we want is going to determine what's right. And yeah. besides getting our own way, we still have this view of absolutes of some things.
1: And, and what you said, that was the whole problem. This, this The guy that you described who left his family, right? He probably thought that uh, the purpose of having people around you... you is to um, make you happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good luck with that.
0: And there may be people that you know, and that I know, and that we're working with who are very unhappy right now to the point where they've reached out. And what I guess I would just want to encourage them that there is a way out of your unhappiness, but it's not going to be shoving more happiness down your throat.
1: Yeah, It's not obvious. Yeah. Um, it's an upside down kingdom. Someone said, I forget. Christ's kingdom is upside
0: down from what the yeah. world tells you. If you are unhappy right now, the way to get out of it is not just to consume happy things alone. There's harder work to be done. And there's this other category that we call the fact that we live in a moral universe. And I want to unpack that a little bit because, you know, yeah. there's Mother Teresa on one side. There's terrorism on the other side and there's this middle ground that we all live in. And the middle ground, it's tough. There's a lot of middle ground and we spend most of our time floating around this gray middle, you know, like we're driving through fog. Does it feel good or bad? Is it beneficial or does it cost me? Does it get the job done or does it fail? Do I look good or do I look stupid? Do most people seem to think it's okay or do they disapprove of it? And For a lot of us, that's like the questions we're asking in the decisions we're making about the important decisions and the little decisions. It's really interesting. I would say, and I don't know psychologically how this lines up, I would say morals, right and wrong, are up for grabs. And the main moral issue, I think that that our society is espousing is this personal choice. I know what's right and wrong for me. And it's probably different than what's right and wrong for you. So we think. And so when we want to know what's right and wrong, we ask ourselves and we let our feelings dictate exactly what is right and what is wrong. Here's my question. And this goes into some deeper theology. And I would say this we have to wake up to the reality that humanity is not just basically good.
1: Uh huh. All you have to do is look at. The history of the 20th century, it, it fascinates me that you know. Let's look at the Nazi Party. You know, think about Berlin. I mean, that was like the center of culture and you know, higher society. That that could get a foothold in that culture, right? Because they're advanced and all of that. And that's why I'm you know looking at what's going on in our country lately. And you know, it's not out of hand like that. But I'm saying, don't be too confident that we're making forward progress and that some of these old things aren't going to come back into the culture and cause all sorts of damage.
0: You know, it's interesting. I wonder, and I worry sometimes, and I haven't read a ton about it, but it's almost like today's generation, today's education, today's mindset, today's morality of right and wrong. The people who are trying to steer it in new ways are trying to detach us from everything that's gone on before.
1: Okay. Say more about that. I think I'm tracking.
0: I think that we do need to open our eyes to some things that we just sort of swept under the rug or we thought, well, that's just the way it is. And we need to name some of those things, but at the same time, to detach ourselves from previous generations, you know, we're building on what has gone on before. And sometimes that means letting some of that go, but we can't just let it all go without understanding it. I'm not trying to say, so tear down, don't tear down any statues. I'm not trying to say, let's not learn what cultural appropriation is, but I think we can practice what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. Just because I'm living today, I look back at how people thought in the 1921 or 1821, and I I know I'm so much better
1: than they are. Oh, you know what? The, the idea that our ancestors, I don't care if it's uh, 200 years ago or 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago, the idea that they were stupid and didn't know anything is dangerous.
0: Yeah. Say more
1: Well, because look, I mean, how is knowledge? We're not going to discover wisdom in our culture. Like no one ever had it, you know, now where we're advancing is like technologically, but there's some truths that other people have discovered. And I think what we're missing in this culture is we are materialists. We have a philosophy. We're not just free of philosophy. Everybody has beliefs and they have a worldview, right? Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I look back at my ancestors and I would say, okay, if everything shut down today and I couldn't run to the grocery store and my fridge stopped working, what would Mm -hmm. I
1: eat? How long would I last? Mm -hmm. What our philosophy is, is our salvation, let's say, I'll, I'll mix the languages, right? Our salvation is going to be through material things. In fact, some of what we're fighting about is somebody has more material things than somebody else, which can be a really big problem, no question, like you said. But let's at least be honest about what's happening so we'll know what's the target, right? Because if your target is like with some of the social justice things like that, like who who would argue against social justice? I mean, of course, because we love justice, and I think it's hardwired in according to the evidence I've seen, right? But what is your goal? Right. And that's the first thing that makes me suspicious is it, like we can't hit a target if we haven't defined it. OK. Right. And then the second thing that is what did Christ say about, you know, if I have some um, dust in my eye, uh, what should be done about it? You with a log in your eye yeah. that can't see clearly, blind come and take blind. it out. R- r- right. And here's what it comes down to. And this is like Alexander Solzhenitsyn and, and just other great wise souls have, mm-hmm. have said to us. I need to trust if I'm going to listen to anybody with any confidence, I need to know that they're humble enough to know you have a dark side. Everybody has that dark side. I worry that when people are too quick to publicly try to humiliate or correct someone or call them evil, maybe they haven't addressed that in themselves. Because when I came, talk about right and wrong, and I still haven't completely worked it out, but I've told you this before. I had no idea that I didn't know right from wrong. Right? Because I was just following my own way through life. And right. I, when I suffered, I didn't understand why. But when you see the good and have a model for the good, which is Christ, what's the ultimate good? Mm-hmm. God taking flesh and showing us how yeah. it was intended to be done. Now compare yourself to Christ and tell me that you're a, a really good person. Exactly. Now, yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean that you beat yourself up, because I don't believe that you punish people who are flawed. So I'm mm-hmm. not arguing for that either. But I, I really distrust those people. Do you met the people who are self-righteous, like Pharisaic type self-righteousness that I'm seeing there? I'm like, I don't trust you. Yeah. Because because it's very, very hard to be a good person. And 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 the world is very complicated. And mm-hmm. so for you to have it all worked out and you're on the side of good and your neighbor there is all bad, I don't trust you if you if you yeah. come in with that attitude.
0: Oh, I totally agree. The idea that we think we're all good. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. I mean, we say these days, mm-hmm. you know, we think we're good. So that, I think we think we're good so we can avoid the truth because we know how bad we could be, but it's hard to face. So we avoid the truth. And I think there's some ways that we do that. We emphasize externals. Yes. We think we're good because we look good. It's such a joke. I remember thinking how hilarious the Jetsons, the old cartoon was, and how Jane, his wife, D, 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 D how she would talk on her video phone that she'd have some fake face on the screen when her face was a mess with Mm -hmm. curlers and cold cream on her face or whatever. That's zoom over the last, you can enhance enhance how you look on zoom. It's so funny, but we live in a world of facades. There's entire TV networks built on it. People get surgery on the outside just to describe what they think is going on on the inside. We know our outsides inch by inch, but we are way out of touch with what goes on on the inside. That's what I love about our conversations. And you really zero down on that. A second way I think we do that is we feel that we've got to choose between saying we're all good or we're all bad. Mm -hmm. But the truth is we're both quite good and quite bad. We want to choose between we're all good and we're all bad. But the truth is we're both quite good and quite bad. And that's the Christian worldview.
1: Well, does that devastate you to know that? To to look at the truth of yourself and 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 honestly say, look, I've got some flaws. Does that devastate you? Like, oh my gosh, I'm awful, or is it a relief? Because to me, it was a relief. Right? Yes. It took some pressure off and allowed me to realize the complexity of things and allowed How me to work. How in God.
0: need I am.
1: Well, yeah, of yeah, exactly. And then yeah. that's what humbles us. And look, it's tough. This world is very, very tough, uh, right? We have to accept that it's going to be hard and that you're flawed. And to me, it's 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 a relief is we talked about it last time, you know, the whole the self-esteem movement, that's what it is. The yeah. self-esteem movement did a lot of damage because it, it created um, entitlement. It took our eyes off the people above us, because the people above us, and there are people above us, not as human beings, because everyone's worth is the same. There's not a person less valuable. There's not a person more valuable, right? But there are certain things that we're supposed to elevate. Because what's a highest, like if I ask you um, about quarterbacks, you're going to find the ones that have reached heights that most haven't, mm-hmm. right? What happens if you even all those things out? Like every single quarterback gets the same, you know, you can't think of it that way, right? That's exactly right. I think one of the
0: other ways that we avoid this truth that we're both quite good and quite bad and that we don't want to have to deal with the fact that there could be an external right and wrong is I think we compare ourselves to other people. We only do it conveniently. I'm so much better than that guy over there compared to most of those guys over there. I'm rocking it. Mm -hmm. And and I think that, that that's one of the things that, For me as a Christ follower, it's hard because we want to blend in and don't want to stick out. We don't want to feel left behind. And so we blend in and that includes with our morality, with right and wrong. And so it's like we're holding on to this old life. We've got this new life. And that's what I would want to say for somebody whose struggles in this way is that God gives us a God who created us both very good. And then we were flawed and we've inherited that sin nature in each of us.
1: What drives the comparison? Because it's the thief of joy. Who said that? Eleanor Roosevelt? Yeah, Probably a lot of people said it because it's true. Other people stumbled upon the truth before too. But, you know, what's behind it? What's the motive? If I'm going to look at myself, you know, vis-a-vis another human being, what's driving that?
0: I think insecurity that has nothing to do with our position in Christ or our understanding. We just don't understand how loved we are by God is what I would say. And so I'm going looking and I'm not sure about myself. I don't know how secure I am in his love and his peace and his joy. And that I would bring the God of the universe joy. That sounds like such a joke Mm, to me.
1: I know we all go through that, especially early on, don't we? Yeah. Um, That, oh, really? Because we know how bad we are. Right. We may deny it because we've been there for every bad thing that we ever did. You know, we mm-hmm. saw them all. So there's a bunch in my bucket and I don't know what your bucket looks like. So I'm
0: the worst of all. Yeah,
1: and yeah. you do feel like that. But then the way I got around that, and I'm sure I had a lot of help was, look, if there's one thing that you don't have to doubt is that you, you're loved and you can be forgiven. Okay, because if you don't get that down, mm-hmm. then the rest of the stuff that follows is going to be yeah. really difficult, right? So that's kind of how I did it—just intellectually to say, okay, look, here's his message. Am I going to trust this and have faith in that or not? And then it mm-hmm. got easier. But if I'm under stress, I'll forget that. I mean, I'll—it'll be like I never knew it. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, yeah. Well,
0: and then a lot of people think the Christian faith is to make bad people good, Man. but there's a, a famous line that says. Christ did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive.
1: Yeah, I like that.
0: And Christian faith is not about just decent living. It's about rebellious men, rebellious women being restored and healed to their loving heavenly father through the death of his son in their place. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life in John 14, 6. No one comes to the father except through me. And if you have your heart right, then what happens is God begins his transforming work in your life. And that's when the honesty can come. That's when the integrity can come. You know, it's like the foam on the root beer float. It's a byproduct of the right ingredients. And that's what happens. This moral life is a response. It's a result of our relationship with Christ. It's not what the relationship is based on. It's like, When we become fractured, fragmented in our souls, in our minds, in our relationships, that's sin. And we think sin is this action, like, oh, I robbed a bank. Oh, I said a mean thing. Oh, Uh I walked past somebody that I should have helped. Sin's not an action. It's an attitude every bit as much as it's an action. And the essence of it is our decision to push God out of the center of our lives and to take the place that's rightfully his. And so as a Christ follower... I am not the center of my life. Yes. Now I got to watch it because I spend more time thinking about myself than I do about anybody else some days. And that goes to looking at people because I think I'm, you know, I have to fight seeing myself as a spectator. I have to fight seeing myself as a self-absorbed individual, seeing myself as a consumer, you know, for my own needs. And yet, that's this message that our whole society has is that that's what we need. And if you don't know that this gospel it makes no sense that, okay, I'm not the center of my life anymore. No, yeah. God is. And I, I, my best life is to keep Christ, his Holy Spirit is with me, in the center of my life.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah, a,
0: it's not a religion. It's about wow. a relationship.
1: Yeah. And that's when it comes to attention. I mean, the biggest obstacle, do you know what um, acidia is? A-C-E-D-I-A, that's sin. I'm just learning about that. I, I, I didn't have a, I knew what got me in trouble because it was always the same thing. Like if I wasn't feeling it, I wasn't feeling the peace. Mm-hmm. If I'm not feeling the peace and, and all that that I, that I liked, enjoyed before, I knew the problem was this. I got caught up in the world. Okay. I thought that the things that were going on in, in the world, my environment is um, the most important thing and it was letting me down. So the sin of Assidia is you take your eye off God. Right. And now you're stuck in the world. And that's why we're told over and over, don't conform to the world. And this materialism, this philosophic materialism, that salvation lies in a bigger bank account. Salvation lies in the material world. It just is not right. Uh, And that is the sin of our age, I think, because all of these messages, all of these competing advertising messages, and all of that is taking us and dragging us down spiritually into the world. And that is where you will suffer.
0: Mm hmm. Oh man, that is such a powerful viewpoint of it. And the idea of somehow thinking we're beyond right and wrong means that I'm in the middle of my life. I get to set my own rules and God does give us freedom to do quite a lot, but we're quite good and we're quite bad. And so for me to live out the good that God has for me, for me to be truest to my own Matt Hook self, I need to be God's version of Matt Hook, not the one that I think would make me happy.
1: Very, very good. Because there was a line, there is a line in scripture in first John that really helped me. This is the love of God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. Okay. So I know somebody really close to me that um, wants to wait a few more years before he uh, commits to God mm-hmm. knows God's the high thing, but why would that happen? Because this person loves the world, yeah. loves the hedonistic path. So yeah, I'll just do it later as if following isn't good in and of itself. These commands are given to set us free, not mm-hmm. to confine us, not to imprison us. You feel free when you can feel good without buying something or smoking something. You're free, right? Awesome. Not- now you're free. Yeah, I could buy it or I could not buy it because I already feel good. And you're less likely to make stupid choices, right? When you're already at peace because you're already satisfied. There's no desire.
0: Yeah, that's so good. You know, one of the things that you're implying is for those of us not there, if I feel like I need to stop where I am or God's not the center of my life, if I need to recommit my life to Christ, that's because something else has taken the place of God.
1: Yes. Life. Okay, and good so point.
0: God doesn't just want to be top on my list of priorities. I mean, that sounds good. And we say that God's number one, and then everything else underneath. God doesn't want to be top in my list of priorities. He wants to be the center of my life, out of which radiate every yep. other priority. And so, first of all, he gives us a way, and that is this, this way of faith. And it's about walking with Jesus, is what we would say. The second thing that God does, even with sin, God gives us a way back. We can come to each other and say, listen, I have fallen away. I need help. I did this. And you need somebody alongside you in your life to say, is this sin? Is this yes. messing me up? We are myopic. We have oh, nearsightedness.
1: 100. This. We're not transparent to ourselves. That's why like on a lot of our walks, which we're going to get back to, I'm yes. glad to oh, say, God. I would ask you, what am I missing here? I know I'm missing something. I'm feeling it. I know, but I can't see it. Oh, yeah. And that's where your humility has to come in. It's like say, look, I'm not transparent to myself. Mm. I need another human.
0: James five sixteen says, make this your common practice: confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you can live together whole and healed. Nice. Confess your sins. To one another, make it a common practice. Pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed.
1: One reason that really works is because I deal with a lot, it's universal probably, but the patients that I see have been hurt and and, and they've hurt other people too. So they have shame where they look at themselves. Shame is, we've talked about, is different than guilt and that, you know, guilt, it's not so personal. Yeah. Right. That shame is, I am bad. I'm bad. And it loves secret. Because you hide the bad things. You know what I mean? If you got a flaw, you cover it up, try to, right? So nobody can see it. There's this relief when you confess to someone else and make it public because you're still accepted. I think that's one of the mechanisms. Like if I tell you something that I think is, and it's usually not as bad as you think, you know, like I'll have people with deep, dark secrets and I know we're stuck in therapy. So I'll say, there's something bothering you. And a lot of times they'll say, I'm not ready to tell you yet. Why? Because they don't feel safe enough. But once that's taken out, I, I promise you, the pain goes down and part mm-hmm. of it is I've just told you the worst thing I've ever done. And you've not rejected me. You've not punished me. Right. I'm still belonged. Yeah.
0: I think one thing that uh, if that's news to me, it would mean to make sure that I'm not just posting it. What does that mean? You that's your sins one to another, not just spew online.
1: Do you see that? Cause I'm not online much anymore. Do you, do you see that people are doing that?
0: There's a real awkward time to that but like you're saying this confession it keeps us from pretending that we're better than we are Mm -hmm. it's exposing to the air that infection that needs air to start to heal at least that's what my mom told me every time i wanted a band-aid and she said no you don't need a band-aid you need the air to heal i'm like
1: running were you running up the band i want band-aids no the flintstone one (laughs) that one won't work
0: they didn't have those when we were kids we're too old for that but the other thing, like you said, it frees us from this heavy burden of carrying our pain alone and helps us to be accountable in the future. Or it's, it's doing this 180. It's turning from yourself, stepping toward God's way of life. And one thing I want to say, you know, if you read the Ten Commandments, that's morality. It says what's good and what's not. Don't do this. Do do that. The fact is, until we get there, we're not free. When God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments, God had freed them from Egypt, freed them from slavery in Egypt. They were free, but they weren't living free. They were still living as slaves to their own choices, to their own sin, to their own immorality or their own morality as they saw it. And so God said, let's spell this out. For a lot of us, we may not have thought of the, I mean, I don't use the word morality every day, but I'm making choices all the time about good and bad, but I don't think of it as good and bad. i more always think of it as, will this make me happy or will mm-hmm. this get me in trouble? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and I think God's gift to us is that there is a way. And one of the things that I found really practical when I was reading through this and realizing what was going on and how do I get, guidance on these moral standards without memorizing the whole Bible or something. And it's this, God gives us a way to decide. Most of his moral standards of good and bad are others focused.
1: Oh, say that again.
0: Most of the moral standards that you read about in scripture are Mm -hmm. how to get, not just how to get along, because that just is about me and my happiness again, but most moral standards are others focused. So, my answer to you, if you were to say, okay, well, then how do I get started? I would say this start serving, start serving. Philippians 2, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says this do nothing out of selfish ambition, oops, (laughs) or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, Consider others better than yourselves. God's given us the power to decide for his way. Yes.
1: And there's a performance enhancing drug that you can take to do that, right? Called love. Okay. Love is what will drive all of these things. If you have love, you don't condemn. If you have love, you don't compare because you're so happy that that person got first place. Even if you've got 14th place, you can still love and that will guide you your morality because it's it's hard. you can't kill somebody if you love them you can't hate them if you love them right right that's trust and acceptance and the first command i don't know if this is an original thought from you but it helped me a lot is the, the if you do the first two commands just focus on those right the world's complicated if you focus on those two things everything else will fall right into place mm-hmm. right uh, what are the first two
0: well jesus said the greatest two commandments oh yeah the love. greatest two the Sorry. love the lord your god Mm-hmm. with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind with all your strength. And the second command is like it. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Yes.
1: And that's an Which equation. Means love
0: yourself as your
1: neighbor. Exactly. It's an it's, equation. There's, a, yeah. there's an equal sign there that says what's on this side has to be on this side because some people are are, are good at being kind and generous to other people and then they're just tyrannical to, to themselves. Mm. It has to to balance an equation. They have to be equal. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, but then, then it's one love. It's one thing. Right. right.
0: But we spend so much of our time wanting to get our own way. We don't want to deal with right and wrong. We don't want to think of it as this some other category that I've got to fit in because how's that going to fit into my life? Yeah. What's that going to prevent me from, from doing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You got me thinking like, cause there's some people in the, in the political realm I get a bad feeling about and I think that's what it is. If and same with pastors, you got to find somebody. There's a bunch of people online and some are deceivers and some I do look for that gentle spirit where I feel like they're good at love. Right? Mm-hmm. They're good at this, they take it seriously. And and if I don't see that, if I see something like pride or anger, inappropriate anger, which sure. mm, let's face it, most anger is inappropriate. If you're trying to get good at love, that anger is going to be an obstacle, usually yeah. not always, but oftentimes. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm looking at.
0: Back to the initial idea of an identity crisis. To me, for us to realize we are not beyond right and wrong.
1: Matt, let me run this by you because this is, I just remembered this. So everybody has to choose the reason that they're getting out of bed that day, Mm -hmm. right? They have to, like, what's the most important thing? I... Myself, I'll confess this. Um, I had no aspirations to just be a nice person. I don't want to say nice person, a good person. A good person. To me, that's a loving person, a kind and loving person. That wasn't an aspiration. My aspirations were, you know, do something in business. Get ahead. Get more some, of it. Yeah, something that really, really me focused. And it was causing me all kinds of problems, all kinds of tension, right? But don't you think like, wouldn't it be great if just being a nice guy, did, did you see a, a good oh, man, guy? I, yeah, goodness. Right. What was the movie where Lloyd Dobler was the protagonist? Um, John Cusack movie, you know, with the boombox? Uh, say anything. So I saw that. That came out when I was in high school. And when I saw that, that character struck me because he was being rewarded by being loved by being a loving person. And most protagonists, they're heroes, they're, you know, blowing stuff up and whatever, at least the movies I was watching, Back you know what I mean? And, and, yeah. And then, was. you know, that was glorifying the cells or, you know, you kill right. the enemy Rainbow. or whatever, but he got my attention. And now that's kind of sad that, you know, I only had that thought I wish that thought had been just ingrained in me from, you know, toddler on, you know, but um, I had to see it in a movie. Didn't help me much back then, but at least I packed it away. It caught your attention. Got my attention, right? Yeah. And that's
0: be this others centered. Find a way to start serving. Yeah. And don't go looking for the good feelings that come because I volunteered at the homeless shelter, the good feelings that come because I helped out at the blood drive, or the good
1: or feelings. the props, right?
0: Yeah. No, just do it because it's the right thing to do.
1: And it's its own reward. Because if you're doing it in that spirit, you'll feel great. Then the rewards cut. You seek first the kingdom of God, right, and His righteousness, and then, yeah, and then you get a kickback. That's what it is, right? But and then you won't even care about the kickback because the kickback isn't as good as the initial, you know, um, reward of doing
0: something well.
1: But not at feeling it though, too, because love is the feeling that everyone is after right now, Mm -hmm. right, and and always have been. It's it's what philosophers think is the highest good. Most of them, at least, if it's not political philosophy, you know, yeah. that's what Christ came to teach. God is love, according to first John. It's one mm-hmm. thing he is.
0: Yeah. This is actually really challenging me to pay attention to how much of my day am I judging by what I, what I got to do, what I got to do.
1: Yeah. Versus- and pay attention is right. You said it right. I think mm-hmm. pay attention. You'll know what you worship because your attention will be on it then your checkbook will be on it.
0: Yeah. the exactly. time that you spend on it will yes. be on it. Yeah. 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 And that's something that we can choose. And if we can't choose, it means we need help.
1: Yeah. And where can we get the help?
0: From listening to this podcast. No, <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, to listen to all of these podcasts.
0: That's right. Well, I think, I think that's part of you know, how God equips us. He says, let me show you a better way.
1: Yeah. And but keep we've got to humble ourselves. Find somebody better than you at it is one good thing to do, and right? The others and, focus and watch them, and get help from other people, like real Start people Serving, too. and also if you have people that are causing you to stumble, it's okay. You can cut them out, or you can Take reduce it, or you can mm-hmm. you know confront them if you want to, or not. You don't have to suffer. I never, I never saw that. Like when I when I read the Gospels and and the Epistles and the whole all the books in the canon, I realized something. Like you don't have to be a nice guy all the time you can get away from people. Cause I watch what Christ did. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to follow him. Okay. He, you know, mm-hmm. okay. I'm, I'm moving on. And right. You
0: know? Right. I wonder if he took that personally.
1: I think he felt bad for the person as far as I could tell, you mm-hmm.
0: know, mm-hmm. that's honoring their choices.
1: Yeah. But I'm sure he felt like, okay, you're lost. I, you know, you mm-hmm. didn't do it. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't. I don't think I didn't, he wasn't arrogant.
0: No. No.
1: Had all the power in the galaxies, right? And was not no. arrogant.
0: That's one of the most famous passages. Philippians 2, have this attitude, which was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped at, but instead he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and laid down his life, even as a slave, so that every... One would have a way back to God. And we're supposed to have that attitude. Every day. Yeah.
1: And when you get lost, you don't beat yourself up. You're off the path. You just get on the path. That's right. And you right. accept yourself. Don't think you're not flawed. It'll hurt you. Yeah. Right? You can still accept yourself and know that you're off the path or that you got a long way to go. It should be a relief.
0: Right. And that's this whole idea of right and wrong. God's given us a path for that. Mm-hmm. What good news we're in part four of our six part identity series it could go on and on Mm -hmm. this identity crisis but i i just want to pray that that people would see themselves not as beyond right and wrong not as worrying about it but as just living into it and choosing let's pray let's pray god i thank you so much for this conversation i thank you so much lord that you gave us a way and that you provided literal guidance for us. We are so grateful that we have the power, the ability to choose you, to choose the good, to choose our way back when we don't choose the good. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to be a slave of our feelings, a slave of our happiness, a slave of me getting to do what I want to do, because that gets old after a while. Lord, I pray for a first step for us today is to keep our eyes peeled. Where can I serve? How can I help? So much of the good that you have given us is about other people and being others focused. So I pray, Lord, for those of us that need to get our eyes off ourselves, that we would be scanning the room to see where we could pitch in and help just because it's a good thing to do. Thank you so much for this conversation. We ask that you would go with us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. If you like what you're hearing, join us at Patreon. You can talk to us personally there, get cool merchandise and exclusive video content and more. Just go to patreon.com and search for The Shepherd and the Shrink Podcast. You can get involved for as little as $1 a month.
0: Thanks for listening to The Shepherd and the Shrink Podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to DrMartinFletcher.com.